This morning we are continuing to look into Mark's gospel and to consider the different voices of Jesus, the different voices of, of what his gospel means, what it looks like uh, to hear the good news proclaimed to us. And of course, that's going to culminate in the proclamation uh, of the angel on Easter Sunday, that he is risen. But this morning we're turning to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to pick up that text in just a minute, if you, if you want to turn there now. One of my very least favorite things in life is being sick. Any of you with me? Sickness is just, you know, low on my list of things, uh, things to experience. And twice in this past month, I've come down with a few days of fever, followed by something like strep throat, you know, just this excruciating pain of swallowing for two or three or four days. And I know that that's not a big deal, but it sort of sidelines you for a few days, wears you down. And Katie has kind of joked with me that, you know, there's this sort of club of husbands that need to be sort of tender, loving care when they go under the weather, right? They need uh, sort of, we're, we're like little kids when we get sick. We need people to look after us. Katie's more the sort of tough it out sick person, maybe because she's a mom, she just sort of pushes through and, and motors on, but I can tell you, and Katie could tell you, that when I get sick, I tend to crawl into bed, shut the door, and, you know, don't come out for a few days. Basically useless until I start feeling better. So I'm grateful Glenn last week stepped in and uh, led the service and, and shared the message, and thank you for doing that. I was, was not feeling well last Sunday. Being sick is unpleasant for all sorts of reasons. Not only does it cause us physical discomfort or pain, but illness interrupts our plans in life. Illness can isolate us from other people. And illness, even just a simple virus, right, can expose us to just how vulnerable we really are, right? how little control we have over our, our physical well-being. Because illness and disease and sickness come as a disruption, it's not surprising then that we spend an incredible amount of money to, to guard against these things. I was reading last week that in the United States, we spend roughly 20% of our gross domestic product, 20% of the, the funds or, or, or income that's generated in a given year on health care alone. It's about three and a half trillion dollars that we spend. But if, if you've suffered through not just a, a fever or a little illness, but through serious illness, whether you or, or someone you love has gone through that, you'll know that, that that money becomes almost insignificant if it offers respite, if it, if it offers a chance to purchase some kind of healing or relief. This morning, though, as we step back into the gospel, into the account of Mark and the stories that he wants to tell us, we encounter these large crowds of people that had far fewer options for health care than we do. They didn't have plans. They didn't have hospitals to go to. Medicine of their day was fairly primitive. According to most historians, if you were living in the time of the first century, your life expectancy was probably somewhere around 28 to 30 years of age. Right? When sickness came, 
people were desperate to find a place to turn because death could always be just uh, a few steps away. And so as we read the Gospels, we in our, our 21st century world, we might hear and see Jesus as a great teacher. We might see Jesus as the coming king and the Lord. We might understand something of Jesus as the Lamb of God slain for our sins. And, and these are all important aspects of his good news, of who Jesus is, of what his gospel is about. But throughout the, the centuries, and I think especially prior to our modern era, the church and, and the people of God have also seen another dimension to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is that Jesus is a healer. That Jesus possesses, because he is, he is the creator of us, right? Jesus breathed us into being, and so he possesses the power to mend our bodies, and to mend our minds, and to mend our spirits, and to mend our souls. The good news of Jesus is that he is able to put us back together as people, and to bring his healing power. So this morning we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, and we're going to consider two individuals that encounter the gospel of Jesus in this particular way, in his healing and life-giving power. So as we turn to chapter 5, verse 21, let me pray for us today. Lord, as each of us are gathered to you in worship this morning, where we confess our physical limitations, confess that we are embodied creations that you have made, but Lord, we depend on you to be well. Lord, we depend on you for the breath that's in our lungs, for the life that's in our bodies. And Lord, I pray as we hear who you are and how you work, that we would bring all of us, all of who we are to you you might speak your words to us. We might hear your voice of restoration and life today. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In your strong and healing name we pray, Jesus. Amen. As we pick up here in verse 21... The context, the things that are happening in Mark's gospel are, are, a few weeks ago we were back in chapter 3 and Jesus called the disciples to himself. He called them to be his new family, if you'll remember. And then starting in chapter 4, Jesus begins to travel with his disciples and some things begin to happen in those travels. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee in chapter 4 and as they go across the sea, a storm comes in and the disciples are fearful for their lives. And remember, Jesus speaks and he stills the storm. And they wonder, who is this man? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And they arrive then on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they're in likely a Gentile community. And they meet a man living among the tombs there. Possessed, overrun by power of evil spirits. 
And Jesus speaks to this man as well, and he drives out those evil spirits into a a herd of swine that then are drowned in the sea. And again, the people of that village wonder at the power of who Jesus is. Who is this man? Well, now here in chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus is coming back to the other shore of Galilee. And we're continuing to wonder and to see into the person of Jesus Christ and the power he possesses. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side, to the western shore of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Mark tells us that as Jesus crosses the lake again, he sails probably into Capernaum here or one of those villages where he began his ministry, that the first thing he sees are these great crowds teeming right by the the shore there, ready to welcome Jesus. But not only seeking to welcome Jesus, they're seeking something from him. They're seeking to be close to him. There's, There's a kind of desperation Mark records in this crowd, each one trying to get to Jesus before the other. It makes me think of those press conferences after a major sporting event or at the White House when there's some big press release, right? And you've got all these reporters, right, hands going up and people shouting, hey, over here, over here, over here, right? Each one pushing and firing questions all at once. As Jesus arrives back on the other side of of the Galilee, he hears Jesus over here. Jesus, come this way. Jesus, I need you. Desperate voices and hands seeking to encounter the power of Jesus. And in verse 22, Mark tells us that among the many faces in the crowd that day was a significant community leader, a man named Jairus. And he was one of the leaders of the synagogue in that community. And we could imagine that given that reputation, that place of standing, that he was was known readily in that community. And that as all these people are pressing to get close to Jesus, that if a man like Jairus was moving through the crowd, likely the crowd would would fall back a bit in, in respect and in honor for this dignified leader. So we're told that Jairus is seeking Jesus. He's he's desperate to get to him. And as he makes his way to Jesus, as the crowds move back, Mark says that he falls in an exhausted heap at Jesus' feet. 
Jairus, the dignified leader of the synagogue, is now desperate for help. And as he tells Jesus his story, we learn that he has a 12-year-old daughter at home. And she is in bed and she is near to death. And Jairus has nowhere else to turn, but he says, Jesus, if you would come and put your hands upon her, she could be healed. She could have life. Jesus, in Jairus' mind, represents hope, represents power that he does not possess. So he pleads with Jesus, and Jesus receives Jairus' request. He says that, that he and the crowd begin to set off in the direction of Jairus' home. But just as, as you can imagine, this large crowd beginning to, to turn direction and to head out of town to wherever Jairus lives. Just as the crowd begins moving in that other direction, Mark tells us in verse 25 that there is another desperate person in the crowd that day. There is a woman whose last hope was to reach Jesus somehow before someone else took him away and diverted his attention. Mark tells us that this woman has been suffering for 12 years with a disease, with an illness. And that illness has made her subject to chronic bleeding. She has a a discharge of blood that she cannot stem. Verse 26 very briefly summarizes that she had suffered a great deal. And we could perhaps imagine the physical discomfort, the pain, the exhaustion of being unwell for 12 years. Mark goes on to tell us that she also suffered financially, that she had expended all the resources she possessed seeking healing, seeking treatment from physicians, and all all to naught. But what we may not appreciate is how this woman's illness had caused her to suffer almost total emotional and spiritual and relational isolation. Because of her condition, because of the discharge of blood from her body, she was considered unclean in regard to Jewish law. And because her her uncleanness was constant, that meant that she not only could not go to the temple in Jerusalem, but she could not enter the synagogue there in the village. And she could not even physically touch a member of her own family. She could not touch her spouse if she had one. She could not touch anyone in her community without risking making them unclean as well for a period of time. And so this woman has suffered greatly. She, too, is desperate to reach Jesus. We have have here in the same crowd, then, these two desperate people, Jairus and this woman. Jairus, the synagogue leader, the, the leader of that community, and a woman excluded from that same synagogue for the past 12 years because of her suffering. But now, in their vulnerability, in their desperate need for Jesus, they are brought together to the same place. 
And Mark tells us that before Jairus can lead Jesus out of town, this woman decides that she is going to seize the last chance she has to grasp the healing and the power of Jesus, literally. Look at verse 27. When this woman heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Wow. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This woman is skilled in the art of what I would call a sneak attack healing. (laughs) We're told in the context that for more than a decade, the one thing this woman has had to fastidiously avoid is human contact, is touch. She can't touch anyone, we said, in her family, in her community, certainly not a rabbi, certainly not a religious leader of the importance of Jesus. She couldn't, she couldn't touch him. To, to touch him, to be near him, would be nearly unthinkable, nearly unforgivable in this context. Certainly for a woman to touch a man outside of her family would be scandalous enough, but this is an unclean woman. But perhaps on that morning, she sees an opportunity in the, the size of this crowd. Right? In a crowd, there's the opportunity to be anonymous, to sort of make your way without being noticed. And so the woman, Mark says, thinks to herself, if I can, can just quietly slip in there, if I can get close enough to Jesus just to touch his garment, I would be healed. It's worth the risk It's worth worth taking that step, she thinks, given her desperation. And then if if I could touch him, if I could receive healing somehow, then maybe I could quietly slip away, back, back into my isolation. And incredibly, the first part of her plan works out. It pays off. Right? We're told that she manages to get close enough to Jesus that she can lay hold of the edge of his garment. And immediately, it says, her flow of blood stops. She can feel the healing power of Jesus moving through her body. I know that that doesn't happen to us every day, but it it does continue to happen. I 
I know last year about this time, a good friend of ours named Ben, we knew from China, lived overseas for many years. He had a form of cancer that was very far advanced. And he had a group of elders from his church praying over him one, one evening. And he felt this surging, healing warmth and power as they prayed. He thought he, he had a fever. Uh, his whole body began to sweat with this sense of power. But he, he sensed, and the other people could sense it too, they, they sensed this, this healing power moving through them. And a week later, he went in for his scans and his cancer was in remission. They couldn't find the cancer in his body. Now, I know, again, that's, that's not a formula. That's not something we see every day. But there is there's power that can move through the person and the spirit of Jesus Christ and bring healing. And this woman experiences that power moving through her. She notices that she is healed. And so I, I think the next part of her plan in her mind is that she's got to find a way to quietly slip back into the crowd unnoticed. Right? Because she has, she has crossed a social boundary in touching Jesus. But just as she begins her retreat, she hears these words spoken over the crowd. Who touched me? Who touched me? Right? Sometimes as we step out, as we ask God to bring healing in our lives, it, it makes us vulnerable. It makes us feel exposed. There's a, a risk involved there. And I wonder, as, as this woman hears those words, if those weren't words that she had heard before, spoken in condemnation, spoken as a rebuke, right? as an unclean woman who had lived for 12 years in fear of touching anyone, Right? The words, who touched me, are almost certain to be followed with disdain. So in verse 32, she, she realizes Jesus is insistent. He's looking for her, seeking to find out who's done this. Power has gone out from him. He knows. And so it says that the woman brings herself to Jesus. She too falls at his feet there. Mark says that she trembles with fear before Jesus. Trembling likely because she fears now that she'll be exposed, that not only will shame be brought upon her for, for transgressing that boundary, but that shame will be brought now upon Jesus, that her uncleanness will be brought upon him, that humiliation will ensue. And as she is trembling there at his feet, Mark says that Jesus interrupts her explanation. And instead of hearing the voice of condemnation, she hears a voice of restoration. Jesus says to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you today. Go peace, go in shalom, go in the full restoring power and life of God. I think it's interesting that Jesus goes out of his way to make this pronouncement public, right? He, he makes a big scene, who touched me? He calls the entire crowd's attention to this woman. Why? 
Well, here, Jesus chooses to pronounce healing upon this woman vis-a-vis this synagogue leader from whom she has been excluded for more than a decade, vis-a-vis her entire community, her entire village, so that from now on they will know that this woman's body carries not uncleanness, but it now possesses the healing and living power of God himself. His healing touch is now what marks this woman. So Jesus' desire is not just to restore her physical health. It's to, to restore her place in that community, to restore her place in that worshiping life of the people of God. Crowds, I'm sure, begin to wonder, who is this Jesus that that an unclean woman could touch him and instead of making him unclean, his holiness overwhelms her. He takes the unclean and he makes it restored. He makes it whole. He makes it full of God's shalom and peace. And as the crowd marvels and, and reckons with this healing power that's gone out from Jesus... We're told in the meantime that Jairus' hope for his daughter is quickly fading. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Do not be afraid, just believe. Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion of people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why? All this commotion and wailing. The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Mark tells us then that that Jesus moves from this incredible act of healing and restoring the woman. Takes us back to the story of Jairus. And I I almost get the sense that that the way they thought about the power and and the miracles and the healing of Jesus was almost like it was a kind of currency. There's only so much of it in circulation at any given time. And so now Jesus has healed this woman, and in the meantime, resignation has set in to Jairus' family. He receives this report in verse 35. 
Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? There's nothing to be done. And if I were Jairus, I could only imagine thoughts of resentment, thoughts of anger, thoughts of confusion in that moment. Right? What if? What if Jesus hadn't been turned aside to heal this woman? Why does she get a gospel miracle and I am left now to go home and face the finality and the ugliness of death? Jairus has the choice in that place to listen to his friends and and to let Jesus go. Let him alone. But verse 36 tells us that Jesus doesn't want to be left alone. Instead of of leaving the picture, Jesus comes closer to Jairus. He comes in close and he says quietly to him, Jairus, do not be afraid. Just believe. And then interestingly enough, after calling all the crowd's attention to this woman, now he sends them away. He even sends most of the disciples away. And in this small group of people, he surrounds Jairus. And he quietly sets out to walk beside him back toward the house of grief that awaits him. And Jesus is going to walk back into this death, into this loss with Jairus, side by side. We're told that when they finally reach the home of Jairus, there is another crowd gathered. This time it is a crowd of mourners who have been been brought in to mark the death of this young girl and to grieve and to wail. But when Jesus encounters them, he refuses to stop. He actually sends them away. And he pushes past them into the inner room of this household where the young girl had been laid out. Verse 41 tells us that Jesus, for the second time, in a matter of a few hours, chooses to risk defiling himself as a rabbi, as a healer, as, as a teacher. Right? First, Jesus was touched by this unclean woman. And now Jesus chooses to touch the dead. Again, that was a boundary you were not to cross. It would defile you. It would make you unclean told that Jesus goes into where the girl lay and he put her lifeless hand in his palm and he says to her, daughter, rise up. Literally, the the Aramaic is is the word for a young lamb, meaning a a young one, a daughter. Rise, be, be raised up. It's kind of a foreshadowing of what's to come on Easter. Daughter, be raised. And with that, Jesus enters into the uncleanness, the defilement of death. And instead of being marked by it, Jesus overcomes it again with the power of his life, with the power of his healing, with the power of his holiness. And instead, this young girl is raised from death. And she walks and she begins to eat. 
And Mark once again says that the people, the family gathered there, are astonished. They are amazed. They are in wonder at who this Jesus is. Even the grip of death cannot resist his command. This is Jesus, the healer. This is Jehovah Rapha, the one who, who possesses healing in his wings, who heals all his people's diseases, who lifts them from the pit. I know that, again, we, we can't manipulate God to heal in this way. That not every story resolves with, with the kind of dramatic healing it's spoken of here. But no matter what, the power of Jesus is to bring healing, to bring life in the place of death. There's a, an anecdote from the life of Martin Luther that when he and his wife Catherine uh, had several children, one of their daughters died uh, as a young child. And as he heard the nails being driven into her coffin, of course they had prayed for her healing, prayed for her restoration. But in that moment of finality, he told the undertaker, hammer away, but those nails will not hold when Jesus comes to raise the dead to life. No matter what, the power in the presence of Jesus is life. It is healing. It is the restoring work of God. So this morning on Communion Sunday, I want to extend to you two invitations. The first is an invitation to to come to Jesus and to ask for his healing. That could be physical healing that you need. It could be healing in a relationship that continues to to be broken and torn apart. It could be healing in in any respect where, where you need to be whole, where you need to be put back together. I've asked um, Sarah and Pete are going to be just outside these doors, and Dom is going to be just outside those back doors. And as you come to the Lord's table, if during that time you would desire just for someone to pray for you, to put a hand on your shoulder, or, or just to invite God to do whatever it is he desires to do, that that would be an invitation available to you this morning. And the second invitation is to come and receive the life of Jesus Christ and the life that is offered to us at his table and in the form of his body and his blood that that purchases us, that, that is able to raise us into new life.